Welcome to Scanner School. Today we have a very special podcast episode, more of a tribute. You see, Larry Van Horn just recently passed away. And for many, you can't talk about scanning without mentioning Larry's name. Larry has influenced many in the hobby when it comes to military monitoring. He wrote for Monitoring Times Magazine for many years and also continued to write for the Spectrum Monitor once Monitoring Times retired. Not only was Larry a wealth of information when it came to military monitoring, but his yearly airshow columns were second to none. Every year, I'd seek out and study his annual airshow guides full of detailed information about many airshow participants and their frequencies. Not only was Larry influential as an author at Monitoring Times and the Spectrum Monitor, but he also published his own blog called the Milcom Monitoring Post. He ran Teak Publishing and was a key figure at Grove Enterprises when they were around. Larry, N5FPW, spent many years monitoring and sharing information. Larry was special in that he never forgot anything or anyone he spoke to, and I'm sure that this helped him when writing his many columns and publications. Larry also shared his knowledge and love of all things radio monitoring with his wife Gail and their son Lloyd. And we had Lloyd on our podcast in episode 177, and you can also find him over on YouTube over at DX Central. What follows this right now is a conversation that Larry and I had a couple of years back, which originally ran as podcast number 178. In Larry's memory, I would like to replay this podcast episode. Larry, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I really, I really do appreciate having you here. Uh, it's my pleasure, Phil. So I have been a huge fan of yours for many, many years. I'm, I'm going to explain why really quickly before I let you talk about what it is that you do. But uh, we have, uh, I'm probably going to spill the beans here anyway, but we have um, an air show that comes into town every year except for last year, right? It's, it's uh, the Jones Beach Air Show, which happens every Memorial Day. And um, for more years than I can count, I've been streaming the audio, right? The frequencies that, that are um, being used. By, by all the uh, all the event participants and uh, none of that would ever happen if it wasn't for your guide and everything that you put out and all the hard work that you do as well so I want to I have I mean I've had monitoring Times magazines and your publications and printouts with your name all over it with things circled and highlighted and and with notes taken and all this other stuff and check boxes next to things I hear and so um, to be able to have you on the podcast is uh, is, is is definitely an honor and uh, I'm glad that you are taking the time to uh, to sit down tonight and, and have this conversation with us. Well, and, and, and <laughs> thank you very much, Bill. It's, uh, it's been been a long time uh, coming. I mean, you mentioned the air show guide. That actually started in my early days at Grove when I first got up. Uh, after I retired from the Navy, we went to, to Grove. Grove uh, needed uh, a hobbyist in, in the office. And made a decision after a Grove convention down in Atlanta that they wanted to hire me. I'd been on the, the writing staff since 1982 when when Monitoring Times first started. It was back in tabloid. After I got settled in the office and started looking at things, I was wearing like three hats. I mean, I was working the technical support line. I was the assistant editor for Monitoring Times, and I was still a columnist. I still had columns to write every month. The only difference was uh, I got a weekly paycheck instead of once a month from from Bob and Judy. So I had probably been there about a year, year and a half, and I kept noticing that the frequency list for the air shows just seemed out of sync to me. So we made a conscious effort over a year-long period working with people that I could trust in the field to monitor these air shows and start getting a list put together. And I mean, literally from that point on, we publish that air show list every year. It's We've not missed a year. I mean, whether it's either in monitoring times or uh, Spectrum Monitor, which we write for now, or we've actually gone out and published eBooks up at Amazon to, to cover the air show. So it's always based on real-time monitoring, stuff that people are actually hearing, including myself when I get a chance to go to the shows. And that's sort of the genesis of, of the list that you, you were just talking about. It's, it's been around for a long time. Yep, it certainly has. And uh, again, the information in there is uh, 
is uh, spot on. I mean, it's amazing all the technical notes you have in there, and uh, even you know the reports were you know not used since or new for last year and and, and stuff like that. You get in there, and um, I know I I submitted something to you. I always give an example of how I used close call to find the helicopters for the Marine demo when when they came into town. I remember same, same that thing. Submission. Same. Uh, you do <laughs> excellent. And uh, I was very happy that, uh, you know, to see the next year that there it was in print, you know, the submission I, that I gave to you. And it was pretty cool to see in there. And I guess that was many years ago as well. But uh, it's great that you had something that was community based before, right, the Internet and before things were community based, right? A lot of the information on Internet websites are done that way, but you were doing it long before that. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, Back in 1983, 1984, we, uh, we're here uh, in western North Carolina in the uh, southern part of the Appalachian Mountain chain. It's called the Blue Ridge Mountains. Very southwest tip of uh, North Carolina, where, where we have two seasons, uh, 4th of July and winter. So consequently, we don't get a lot of traffic through here, but a lot of people know where Brasstown is at. And uh, consequently, anything that we would do, we'd literally have to travel we're two hours from anywhere. So we would have to travel, whether it was an air show in Atlanta or whatever. But that insult to injury, technology up here was nothing. I mean, Grove itself, as a company, were the first ones to bring the Internet to Western North Carolina. It was a dial-in service. In fact, we didn't get cell service until the 1996 Olympics down in Atlanta. Wow. So consequently, anything that we were doing, I mean, we had... Bob's son, Bill Grove, was the one that used to go out on the Internet and get the email for everybody. We had one email account for everybody. And he would go in and act as the postman. And, okay, here, Larry, here's your email. And then, Rachel, here's yours, you know, this kind of thing. So we were pretty primitive back then. But even then, we were still maintaining contacts with with friends that I had been corresponding with for several years as, as a columnist for Monitoring Times, people that I knew that I could trust to get the right frequencies to me. And uh, I do remember the helicopter. It was a Marine helicopter squadron, if I remember right, correct? Yes. Yep. yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I remember that listing. So it's expanded a lot since then. Of course, the UHF uh, military aircraft ban has (laughs) it's undergone a major change in 2004. And the ban in 2004, or what what it is today, looks nothing like it did back in in the uh, the early the middle 90s so um, back then you know you did did things with a a gross crv1 stacked converter to your scanner or you did things along the line of a military surplus type rig surplus type mm-hmm. equipment there wasn't really anything manufacturers uh, we always used to talk with uniden and some of the other companies don't y'all realize that there's a lot of people who want to listen to military aircraft you know and uh I think when they saw the success of Bob's CBR-1, that pretty much convinced them to put it in, and we started seeing scanners coming out there. With, with the I didn't even realize that, but, but now that you bring it up, that's a very valid point. Like scanners, wouldn't they wouldn't cover that band. No, no. We had, uh, we had a lot of people <laughs> that were buying a lot of used. In fact, I still have my used 225 to 400 tube UHF radio military surplus sitting up in the shack right now, so. Wow. It was just a memory of a day gone past for sure. Right, right. I mean, a lot of that's a memory of a day gone past to, to start going down that path, right? I mean, it's it's amazing that to think about that because today we're spoiled, I guess, right? Most of the radios that are out there cover the band. Oh, so, sure. uh, but not, not to have a. So, so that, that's what you're referring to back with the 2004 band plan change, or was, um, was that something that the. Yeah, the in 2004, DOD made a sweeping change to the UHF military aircraft ban. And one of the reasons why they had to do this was because basically they were tired of playing games with the other federal agencies to get frequencies for their trunking radio system in the regular federal frequencies. So in effect, what they did is they gave the top 20 megahertz from 380 to 400, just shy of 400, and they carved out that space so they could put their own trunking systems in without having to go through a lot of red tape and anything else. And they they set up a nationwide plan 
Well, that meant moving a lot of services. Uh, one of the ones that immediately mm-hmm. come to mind was 381.3, the Coast Guard ended up moving out of that band. So, you know, there was uh, a lot of things that got shoveled around, and they wanted to reorganize it anyway. Some of the things they couldn't move, obviously, were military satellite frequencies in that UHF range. So it's always been an interesting band for me. I've always been fascinated with it, and I've spent a lot of time <laughs> monitoring it and, and cataloging what, what can be found up there. So if you start seeing some old lists around with frequencies and you go, that doesn't make any sense. I'm not hearing that today. It could be because the frequency list that you're looking at could be old from that that era uh, prior to 2004 when they made the change. Right. And again, there's there's no centralized list anywhere for any of this stuff. That's what makes what you do so so interesting, right, is that you can't go online and, and look at an FCC website for this kind no. of stuff because it, no. it doesn't exist. In fact, uh, DOD is, is taking it probably one step more. Used to, uh, you could go and download their, um, what they call their FLIP publications. They're uh, published by the uh, NGA, uh, National Geostation Spatial Agency, where they would they would put out all these frequencies for the bases. And there was an IFR guide for the U.S. and there was a BFR guide for the U.S., and it would have a listing of, uh, you know, the more commonly used VHF, UHF aeronautical frequencies. Well, someone, the excuse that I heard when I called about this and that they were withdrawing it from public, the public domain itself was that the Australians in some of their other publications felt like their material for their frequencies and stuff were, co- were uh, uh, copyrighted. And so to avoid any conflict, and this is this this came right directly from from the head head office themselves, to reduce any conflict with the Australians, we're just going to re, uh, retract all of the complete set of, of all the supplements. So wow. that has made life a lot more difficult to be able to work in this band. So you know wh- whatever is published, I mean, if, if you've been a lifelong UHF Milcom listener. And, you know, you've been listening on this frequency for a long time and you haven't heard anything in about the last 16 years. It changed. (laughs) Hopefully you're not waiting around 16 years to find out what happened either. So, (laughs) yeah, hopefully you've retuned by then. Exactly. Exactly. And and that's one of the interesting things, too, about that spectrum. Right. And uh, one of the things I like to say, I like to. I like to put out there is right. The secrets are in the searches, right? And that's, that's where a lot of the fun is with the scanner radio hobby. And, um, it's one of those things that I feel is a dying part of the hobby, right? People go online and, and not to put down any other website or talk. That's not where I'm going with this, but people, they want what they want and they, they, they get the information and that's it. They're happy, right? I got my police, I got my fire, I got my EMS and that's all I'm worried about, but there's other stuff out there. And, Part of that and part of the excitement of finding that is falls in the middle airband because pretty much wherever you are in the U.S., there's there's got to be something flying overhead at some point in time that you can listen to because obviously it's line of sight, right? And these things are flying pretty high. So there's something that you can be able to listen to. I mean, I don't have any air bases around me, but I can still tune around and pick pick something up. So searching is once you find what you what you know is out there, you can obviously put them in a scan list. But searching for the rest of the stuff, that's where a lot of the fun comes in. So um, to me, that's that's where a lot of the excitement is. And again, yeah, you know, it, making some changes. I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, that, that, that's fine. That's absolutely true. To me, I've never been satisfied with, you know, give me the local list and I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm like you. There's always more to listen to. I mean, what's in this frequency spectrum from 138 to 144? Tell me what's in there. You know, I want I want to listen to what's in there. Tell me what's in the frequency spectrum from um, 162 to 174. I want to know what's in there. There's got to be something, right. something good in there, you know, here and there. Granted, we've seen technology sort of take over here in certain respects. If you tune through the federal frequency spectrum, let's say the 162, the 174, the 406, the 420s. You're not going to hear as much clear voice as you used to, especially if you're in some place like the D.C. area, somewhere up in there. I mean, first off, you're going to hear P25 because Congress mandated that the government switch over to some narrow band digital modes, P25 being the most prevalent within within the uh, federal community. Added on top of that, you will hear 
encryption, depending upon the agency that you're listening to. Now, sometimes they do, and sometimes they forget to flip the switch, and maybe you hear right. one side. Sometimes you may hear two sides. You'd be surprised sometimes at uh, what you can't hear if you just, as you said, search around. Find that search button, and and it's not just a matter of searching for a day and you're done. Some of these frequencies you may not hear in a year. And all of a sudden, here it comes. We're sort of famous up here in Western North Carolina for a guy by the name of Eric Rudolph, the bomber from down in Atlanta. And anybody that was around the, the 96 Olympics in Atlanta will remember that particular incident. Well, good old Eric was from up here. And of course, after the bombing and they, they put two and two together, we were swarmed by FBI, ATF, Secret Service, you name it. If it had a three-letter designation within the government, they were probably here. And they weren't that far away from us. They were just literally over the hill from where I am right now. And all of a sudden, we knew we knew we could see them talking on their radios, and we knew what we already had up here. Next thing you know, we got signals popping up everywhere. And uh, back in the day, Bob had made a uh, I wish I could remember the designator on it. Was, it was a spectrum scope. And yeah. literally, I could sit there looking on my spectrum scope, and I'm seeing, you know, sitting in the middle of the band, I'm seeing all these signals coming up. And it was a uh, target-rich environment, to say the least. It was a very interesting time for us to, to monitor up here. Right. And and to think about, you're saying two technology changes, right? That was that was pretty uh, expensive piece of tool back in the day. Now you can go on Amazon for 35 bucks, you can get something that will give you just as much enjoyment <laughs> when you when you plug in a software to find radio, you know? Huh. Yeah, soft, software is free, and uh, you can yep. go up and get an RT, uh, RTL SDR dongle and put you up a good outdoor antenna. And, man, I'll tell you what. In fact, uh, there's some, some fellows that use that particular dongle to scan extremely fast through that 225 to 400 spectrum looking for military aircraft signals. Yep, exactly. And the best thing is you can archive the entire spectrum and then go back and just select the audio you want or the frequency you want and then go back and replay it like it's a DVR. So you don't have sure. to worry about missing anything. But uh, yeah, technology is certainly making things a lot easier for people to um, to, to press the other button on their scanner and, and see what's out there. So, uh, But going back into what you're doing as far as logging the aircraft and all that stuff too, I mean, that's challenging in itself because it's not like where it's a repeater, right? You don't have a squelch tail. You don't have long conversations, right? It's 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 push the PTT and they're done, and it's so quick. I mean, listen to the air show acts. It's sometimes it's a count, sometimes it's it's just smoke on, and that's all you're going to hear. And to be able to hit those frequencies and log them and know there's something out there, it's it's a needle in a haystack type of discovery. Uh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, uh, as as most of us have sat around and talked about for years. The key to being successful in all of this is twofold. Number one, it's the search. Okay, you've got to search. If you're sitting on one frequency, I've got over me, we're in the uh, northeast or northwest side of uh, Atlanta's airspace. In other words, all the aircraft going into uh, Atlanta Hartsville. Consequently, we have planes that are departing here. We have planes that are going in here to Atlanta and departing, depending on which runways they're using. And there are three layers of airspace sitting over top of me, low, medium, and high, that Atlanta Center, the, the big uh, air route traffic control center in Atlanta, uses to navigate aircraft through this airspace. You want to add a little extra to it. We are at the, just to the south of us, we have what they call a Vortac, which is a, a navigation aid uh, for VHF and UHF. And, and uh, high flyer. This is a high flying vortex, so aircraft that are very high in the uh, the uh, air will use that vortex for navigation as well as low. Consequently, this is the convergent point for a lot of military training routes used by the naval aviators coming out of Pensacola. We have uh, because this is a mountainous area, they do a lot of training in here, nap of the earth type flying. We had a Five airship C-17 air show up here two summers ago from aircraft coming out of uh, Washington State. 
the most marvelous thing. I mean, Gail and I are out here in the park, in in uh, front of the the, uh, the upper upper office up here, just squealing like like all get out because we got five <laughs> C-17s, literally not more than 120, maybe 130 feet above us coming over wow. and you know they're in sequence and i mean it was just it was fantastic we have c-130s up here we have uh, f-16s f-15s when the navy was still flying out of atlanta we had a v- f-18s so consequently we're two hours from the nearest base but we get a lot of activity mm. so if you've ever been around and the house and hearing a low level air you know aircraft coming in low level you could be around one of these flying these uh, routes that they they do for training and you have your aerial refueling route so there's always a yes. lot of activity to discover yes and i mean it, it's good listening it could be quiet like you said too we quiet for a couple hours or a couple days and all of a sudden you got uh you have some activity on there you know what's going on so and we've got the same thing where i am too is uh we've got the local airports right we got uh, the local weekend hobbyist type of airport right next to us and also where like the sports teams fly in and out of and then we've got JFK, and then directly above that we've got LaGuardia. So, and then right to the east we've got MacArthur Airport. So I'm kind of like right in all that. And again, multi-layer too. So Long Island's got its its its, its funny challenges. And um, we used to have Grumman that was about ten minutes away from here. So we'd see all those planes flying overhead every morning, you know, as they were they were taking them out on their runs. And that was that was about they they left before I really got seriously involved with scanning and everything else like that but uh it's definitely and again like i said before you don't have to see them to hear them right because it's all line no. of sight Ooh. so <laughs> no I've, I've, uh, I've sat here and listened to aircraft depending upon of course altitude usually on the higher high altitude routes i've heard aircraft here and 5300 miles away from here yep we have an air refueling route here just to the west of us that runs the spine of the Appalachian that the uh, Air National Guard tanker, CKC-135 tanker group out of McGee-Tyson uses. We hear them all the time. And I mean, I can listen to them from when they they start down in Alabama until they finish up uh, well up north into Kentucky and, and Virginia. Yeah, it's it's amazing how you can hear all that far. And that's, that's what makes part of it so, so interesting and, and uh, so much fun to listen to. So... Let's talk about some of the gear that you have, because I know, because I've, I've, like I said, I've been a fan of yours for a while, so I've been, I've been watching you on Twitter, and, and uh, I, I spoke with Lloyd last week, and uh, he, he kind of let me in, you know, as to what was going on. But let's talk about what, what it is that you are using, or what you have been using to seek out or monitor the aviation frequencies in Miller, and then what you are now converting over to, to be using. Yeah, the... Obviously, conventional scanners, one of the advantages of having worked at Grove for the, the years that I did and did the technical support is I also wrote the reviews for Grove. So consequently, if there was a scanner that caught my eye, it was one of those I would, and also having a wife that's in the hobby makes it a little easier to go, honey, yes. I'm fixing to spend $350 on this scanner. Hope, hope you don't mind as if I need another one up in, in the shack. Yeah, I've, we use, uh, yeah, I've got Uniden, I've got uh, Whistler. Uh, I still got sitting over here and I'm looking at it and I'm in Gail's office right now. I've got a realistic Pro 2004. Mm-hmm. Now that goes way back. We just got through having to say goodbye to an old BC 210. Okay. So, I mean, you know, that, that, in fact, it was the BC-210 and the BC-220, which the 220 was the first scanner to have uh, civilian aviation in it. So, you know, it was one of those that I had a, a real soft spot for that radio for a long, long time. But that's sort of the, you know, from, from the hardware perspective, I have a tendency to use two or three scanners that monitor. I have one that's fooled with confirmed stuff. And then I'll have one that... Um, is searching, and then I'll have one that that uh, basically was, is monitoring for anything else that, that might slide through the area. Of course, a couple of three scanners for the local police and fire here, and a bevy of SDRs. That's the future, I think, in, in what we're looking at. And the SDRs here uh, serve many purposes simply because I don't monitor just 
I do, pardon me, do not monitor just the VHF, UHF spectrum. We monitor, I monitor well above 900 megahertz into the uh, L-band, uh, looking for NMARSAT and other, other okay. signals up there, marine and aircraft. And we also monitor the shorewave spectrum, which is actually, when I first came to Grove, I started out as their satellite editor, wrote three books on communication satellites with them, then moved over to the utility side of the house, which is basically anything on ham radio, I mean, anything on HF radio other than hams or broadcast. In other words, if it's things that go bump in the night or whatever, that's, that's, that's the, considered a utility station in HF. So we have right. a lot of equipment for that, and that, that was pretty much where I made my mark in monitoring times. But I've written uh, literally anything in the spectrum from all the way from natural radio, which I did a series of articles several years ago, listening to spirits down in the very low frequency ranges, all the way up into uh, the gigahertz. And equipped for all of those. Yeah, I remember reading those uh, utility guides, you know, the pages and pages of loggings that were <laughs> were done in there as well. I mean, that's another thing that just baffled me, how you can identify those things. And, I mean, you got to gotta start somewhere and start with the database and start realizing what you're listening to. And, I mean, that kind of stuff alone has got to be just trying to figure out who's there. But, again, it's 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 an interesting term because you the, when I first started looking, I'm like, utility guides, like these are like oil tankers or – rigging platforms and stuff like that. And then you realize, oh no, it's 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 a little bit more interesting than just than just that. So. Well there were there was a lot of help back then. You know, if you you, you sort of dial back and, and for those those of us who, who lived through there through that era, I mean I can remember as a, a young man, there was a fellow by the name of Steve Handler who wrote a, a guide for uh, HF frequencies, a lot of military stuff. There was um Tom Nitell wrote a lot. He uh, he did the original confidential frequency list. Bob Grove published the first ever list of uh, uh, federal frequencies, which included HF, VHF, UHF. He had the Grove Shore Wave Director. So, I mean, there was a lot of material. We had an old club back then by the name of SpeedX that did this kind of thing, and, and uh, some of the older clubs also uh, delved into it. But it's evolved, obviously, over the years. We've seen the HF spectrum change tremendously. The marine and aeronautical frequencies are nowhere near as busy what they used to because they have Inmarsat, and Inmarsat takes care right. of that need. But there's still things there. I, 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 we were reading an article the other day. Gail and I were sharing it where a fellow was basically uh, predicting the demise of shortwave, shortwave broadcasting, and I'm going, Really, I don't think that's ever going to happen. You may not have as many countries as you used to. You may not have a lot of the variety that you used to have uh, from the different governments and things along that line. And then again, it could change tomorrow. I mean, literally mm -hmm. conditions. I mean, things could could change the way we look at the business. But I, I, as I said in the office one day, and I use this as an example. I, I want to say it was Wart ninety two. Might have been. 96 or somewhere we the world administrative radio conference they meet every four years the itu gets together everybody hacks back up the space again and whatever they want to do with with the spectrum and i remember the hams were making a push to clear out the 40 meter ham band entirely of broadcasters they wanted everybody out well they managed to get 7.1 to 7.2 clear and exclusive to ham radio, but the broadcasters were unwilling to give up 7.2 to 7.3 until it'd been, a, and I want I, the, the number six in my head is like 40 years down the road. And I'm going, for something that's supposedly dying, you know, why are we wanting to hold on to these frequencies? You know, when they, they could have done anything they wanted to above, above 7.3 megahertz. So, Shortwave is not dead. Uh, no, a lot of things have moved other modes, uh, right. a lot of digital, just like we see in the scanner side of the house. I mean, technology rolls along, and sometimes that can be some of the most interesting listening that you will ever listen to, even even beyond what you have in your local area. Right, and again, shortwave is it's unfiltered. You know, it's it gives some countries the ability to transmit outside of their borders and into other countries without the other countries being able to do anything about it, except for jam them. 
So there is there's always going to be a place. Yes, yeah, but there's there's always going to be a place for shortwave for for stuff like that. You know, there's it's a fun medium. I mean, it's definitely fun. It's one of those things I like to do too, which is um, I was telling that same thing to Lloyd is I like to take you know I have my ICOM R5s, R6s. I got the old stuff too. And in the summer months, just to go outside at, at night when it, when it cools off a little bit and just tune around on the shortwave band with the, with his, you know, the receivers and uh, just to hear what's out there. It doesn't take much, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. Oh, there's when always, the schedule there's always neat yeah. things to hear. Yeah. In fact, we broke a story in the May issue of, of the Spectrum Monitor and also the new Global Radio Guide, which just hit the streets here uh, late last month. We broke a story for those who might be listening can remember back in the 70s and 80s. There was a thing called the woodpecker. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you know what it is. I've heard of it. I was, I'm a little, yeah, a little young for that, but I, I definitely yeah, know what it Russians, is. Yeah, yeah. The Russians were using HF radio for over the horizon radar purposes. Okay. This thing drove hams and shortwave listeners and maritime and aeronautical and everybody completely crazy because you could never predict it. It was loud. They were aiming their radars literally over the poles at us and using it to, to watch for aircraft and, and whatnot. And uh, right. the woodpecker died a hard death when they had the uh, Chernobyl incident. The, the reactor over there in Chernobyl, nuclear reactor, was uh, feeding power to this massive complex, so to speak, to so they could transmit these signals over the horizon. Well, it died, died a horrible death. Hams and shortwave listeners were thankful that it did. Unfortunately, we have to tell hams and shortwave listeners that the woodpecker is back. And that's the story that, that led in, monitor, in, uh, monitoring, in the Spectrum Monitor in May and also as lead article in our, our new global radio guide. I just happened to be listening on the on the an SDR online, one of the Kiwi SDRs out in Pearl, and uh, I was listening to eighty eight twenty eight. I was trying to update the list of uh, aeronautical weather stations out in the Pacific, and I heard this noise, and I went, "What? I've heard this before. What is this?" And then all of a sudden, after I went through the file for a minute, I went, "That sounds like a woodpecker." Gee. No way. Well, the first thing I did is I jumped every available SDR in a Kiwi system all through <laughs> the Western Pacific, all the way right. from New Zealand, Australia, all the way up through Japan. And this thing was everywhere. Everywhere I heard that it was in Hawaii, I was hearing it on all these others. And I went, that's broadband. That's not local interference. So we can rule that one out. Well, I started investigating. Sure enough. Uh, they have brought it back. Now, they haven't shot one over the pole yet, but the head of the uh, Air Defense Forces over in Russia says that they will have 360-degree coverage, which means eventually we'll probably start getting interference over at us in mass. Right. So if yeah. you hear something that sounds like a woodpecker banging away on a tree, guess what you're hearing? You're hearing the over-the-horizon radar from the Russians. Right. And how is that different than the buzzer? Right. Because that's kind of the same, but different. Right. Uh, the buzzer was is, is still a, an enigma in its own right, pun right. intended. It is something that we really don't have an understanding. We we think we know who who in the Russian military, the army is using it mm -hmm. uh, exactly what it's used for. There was a whole. There's a lot of conspiracy theories over it. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was a, a, a little mini documentary I heard. I think it was up on uh, might have been Science Channel or one of those. And, yeah, it's, uh, uh, Phantom Signals, right? I think it's, it's yes, the uh, TV show you're talking about. And, yep, yep. Hmm? Yes, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, Josh. I mean, several several people have theorized what they think it is. It's moved over the years. It's not in the same place that it started out with. It hadn't been that long ago. I had a mystery signal that a fella heard. Over in Eastern Europe, I think it was 4939, somewhere along in there. And it was a beeper, just beeping away. And the closer you got to this particular location on SDRs in Russia, in fact, it was the only SDR just northwest of Moscow. 
And this thing was there 24-7, probably still there for all I know. Uh, we tweeted out about that on our Twitter account. So it's buried buried in my Twitter feed somewhere. <laughs> a lot of good information is buried in, in, in Twitter for some, you know, it does, you put out a lot of, a lot of stuff. So, but, uh, but yeah, it's amazing what, what, I mean, what's out there, right? It's, oh, it's, uh, we still have uh spy number station. Yep. A lot. Yep. We still have, um, Facsimile uh, stations sending weather faxes. I mean, you would mm-hmm. think this technology would be gone by now, but it's not. We have some very interesting, from time to time, military signals that <laughs> the Russian. It's sort of like what we were talking about the other day. We another one of our family discussions, and it's it's great to have three members of my or two other members of my family that I can talk radio with. You know, most hams are like, you know, they're, if they go to their wives and start talking ham radio, their eyes just sort of gravitate <laughs> to the heavens, you know, and it's one of those, <laughs> I don't want to hear it, honey. Yep. But I have two other people in this household that if I say the word kilohertz, they know exactly what I'm talking about mm-hmm. and have for years. And I mean, you know, at, at a level that, that surpasses most. So it's really nice to have a radio family. And we we were talking about these various things that you can you can listen to in these bands and still defy any kind of explanation whatsoever. Exactly. And in fact, as I mean, as as we're talking right now too, right? It's was it Radio Day or something like that over in Russia? So they're sending out SSTV signals that that you can try and tune in and uh, decode. I was looking online, I guess today or yesterday people were posting online all the the images they were they were picking up on uh on hf so there's, there's still a lot going on mm, absolutely so let's talk about and so now we're all over the place we started with we went i guess from we went <laughs> from top down Sorry. right we went with we've gone from from shortwave all the way up to uh to uh gigahertz with this conversation so this is more general radio than it was with uh with mill air and like that. So let's, let's, let's generalize this then because I was going to, I was going to aim this question more towards, right. The mill air side of the house, but let's say just in general, right. I mean, we're talking HF, we're talking VHF, UHF and, and, and whatnot. What do you use? I mean, how you, you must have, I mean, wire all over the yard and, and up in the sky and everything else. What is the, uh, what's the shack look like? Cause I mean, between not even like just you, but I mean, you, you've got your wife pulling in all this stuff for for her publication and, and all the shortwave stuff too. So you've got to have, uh, I can imagine, a pretty massive setup over there. Well, we're on an acre and almost, well, almost two acres. And um, we have two buildings here. And, and one that I'm in is our office complex, which is where the shack is at. But we can do our thing literally anywhere around the house. It's not going to be as extensive as you would think. I've always tried to keep things simple as a radio hobbyist. And uh, wire antennas, yes, absolutely. Love wire antennas. I mean, I uh, my main ham, ham antenna that I use for for uh, ham radio is a 80-meter G5RV. I've got 232 uh, countries on that bad boy. And a 8-band wow. uh, worked all states, DXCC. I'm about 12 country shy of a uh, ARRL DXCC challenge award. There's a thousand countries on, on the various bands. So simplicity, I, I find that, number one, I, I like to challenge a lot more. So we have various wire antennas. We use, I've got like uh, three U-loops. You probably heard of the AirSpy mm-hmm. U-loops. In fact, I've got uh, two two extra ones. One's got a high impedance amplifier. The other one's got a low impedance amplifier that I've been uh, doing some testing for Yusef, uh, the, the uh, gentleman who heads out AirSpy. I have a W6 LVP loop. One of the more, you know, everybody talks about the uh, Wellbrooks. You will pay an arm and a leg to get a Wellbrook over here from the UK. W6 LVP is, is just absolute wonderful. A wonderful loop antenna. And the crazy thing about the loop, and, and my conversation with Larry, who was who W6LVP, I dropped him in an email one day and I said, hey, you know, this thing is supposed to be HF, you know, basically uh, uh, medium wave up to 30. I said, man, I'm getting some great FM reception on this. He goes, shh, don't tell anybody. 
<laughs> it'll, do, it'll do higher frequencies. We just don't advertise it. Well, I guess I just blew the secret. So. <laughs> you, you just you just spilled the beans. <laughs> W6LVP, you're going to spend a lot less than you would at Wellbrook. And I'll tell you what, I'll mm-hmm. put I'll put the Wellbrook, I mean the uh, the uh, W6LVP up against that Wellbrook. May right. get a little bit more gain out of that that Wellbrook, but I sure didn't spend spend all that money getting it over here. Right, right. Uh, so I got that. We've got uh, 160 meter mystery antenna. We've got. Uh, Grove scantanas, <laughs> as you would well expect. I have a, a special little uh, Yagi antenna that I built just for the Millsats up on UHF. Various, uh, got a six meter beam. I got a vertical antenna for the ADSB, the uh, monitoring the aircraft ADSB signals, a specialized antenna for that. A 270 meter, six meter, 220 vertical antenna. I've got a sloper over here, and we've got a par antenna, a short wave antenna for Gale, and the slope and that sloper. So yeah, I mean okay. we've got a. It's just you're not going to see any towers here. It's not that we can't put any up. It's just that uh, I found that uh, I like the challenge a little bit more of being able to do something that that a lot of people said, hmm, you shouldn't be doing that. I mean, you know, I have no power here. Uh, when I'm on ham radio, it's 100 watts and okay. can do a G5 so RV or the, the 160 mystery. And, uh, you know, it, it makes it just to me, it just makes it more fun. Yeah, I, I might have to take a little bit longer to get, you know, a certain into work a particular country or whatever. But, right, hey, right. That, that's sort of the sport of this. Exactly. Same exactly. with listening, by the way. So. Yes. <laughs> yep. Some people have to learn how to do that, too, right? <laughs> so. Well, that's, you know, it's funny you should mention that because honestly, when you sit down and you, you, you talk about people who are successful in doing this kind of thing, that's half the battle. In fact, it's more than half the battle. I would say that's 90% of the battle. People don't listen. They hear, but they don't listen. And when I mean listen, I mean you're listening to the intelligence. What, what are you hearing? One of the reasons, and to bring this back sort of full circle again to what we talked about at the beginning, one of the reasons why I started the uh, air show list was that there were frequencies out here, and it, they were on these lists, and it would say um, 123.45 or you know some, some crazy right, VHF right. aircraft approach frequency. And they'd say, this is the Blue Angel frequency, and I'm going, no. That's a, an approach frequency in Scranton, Pennsylvania, that somebody heard the Blue Angels on. Right. So consequently, it was one of those, just get the garbage out, and that way we can get a cleaner list out there of what's, you know, what's actually going on. Where are they? What frequencies do they own? Okay. What frequencies, you know, when you, when you, you hear an aircraft flying over here, let's say, doing an aerial refueling with the boys up at McGee Tyson, you hear them on a particular frequency, and then automatically you, you say, well, that's got to be a C-17 frequency for somebody out of Charleston. No, that's an aerial refueling frequency that's used on this particular air route. So you got to listen to what's being said after you discover the frequency and you're doing your searching. Then you got to listen. And listening, is, to me, is an art that, that we're slowly but surely losing in the hobby. You know, everybody talks about losing the stations. Stations are still there. A lot of stations are still there. It's just that we have lost our ability to either want to listen to them or the capability to listen to them. Right. And, and to go back to what you were just saying, too, on that is uh, one of the frequencies out here that's that's used for the, the air show is, is, you know, the boss frequency, right? The, the, uh, the air show boss. But they only use that during the air show. I think it's 125.85 or something like that. But as soon as the air show is done, it goes back to Republic Airport and it's used for ground. So yeah. I never submitted it to you because it's not an actual air show air boss frequency. It's just used here, you know, mm-hmm. but it's, that's that's it's that's a secondary purpose. And then the other rest of the year, it's the ground frequency. So it doesn't make sense to submit that one over <laughs> So because yeah, it'll confuse of, everybody else who's not who's not in the area. Yeah, sometimes uh, the air bosses, depending on who's doing the show, <laughs> they'll... They'll bring their own with them. I don't remember the the company that was doing some of the air shows, but I got a I was in the office and I got a email from the head of the company, 
and we had published their frequency in the air show guide, and he was hot. I said, really? I said, you know, it was a U, it was the UHF military frequency, the civilian company. He said, well, you know, we sort of had a little agreement and this and that and the other, and we're not really. And I'm going, uh huh, okay. I think I begin to understand where you're coming from. <laughs> I've never taken it out. Sorry. Right. I think it's still there. <laughs> and it, it's one of those things, hey, you know, if you're using it, it it's sort of like some people will, will you know, say, don't publish my frequencies, you know. And you got a 50,000-watt transmitter sitting in the middle of the HF radio spectrum, and you think you're being, you're hiding from somebody. Right, right. That's not really going to happen. <laughs> but a lot of those frequencies exactly. also, the Airboss frequencies, they could be uh, GCA frequencies that people, you know, ground-controlled approach freaks. Sometimes they'll put them right up on tower. I mean, literally, they'll put them on the tower freak. And they'll say, Air Boss, you now have control of the field, you know, and, and basically they're the air traffic controller until the air show is over with. So it just depends on who's who's doing the air show and how they do business. Right, right. Yes, the hours is, uh, it's in the beach, so it's not at the airport where some of them may be as well. So that, that kind of changes things around a little bit, but, uh, oh, sure. still, still good listening nonetheless. So, um, let's talk about some of the publications. Again, we've talked about, you know, bits and pieces about what you've done over at the years, but what are the publications that, um, that you have out now and, uh, where can people look at some of, some of your work and some of the lists that you have? Sure. Absolutely. We have a website and, uh, that our marketing manager, who's brilliant. He's listening to me right now, my son. Anyway, <laughs> Lloyd put up, he he designed the website himself. Uh, it's at www.teakpublishing.com. Teak Publishing is all one word. And uh, that was the company that we started after Grove shut down in 2013. We weren't ready to totally get out of the business yet. Gail had been doing the center section frequency section of all international shortwave broadcast frequencies in English for Grove for a number of years. We decided why throw this thing away and not do it anymore when it was so unique because it's the only publication of its kind that basically breaks down shortwave broadcast broadcaster transmissions by time and then by station and frequency. Much more geared to people who listen to program content and not be Xing, you know, listening for new countries. So uh, we decided to go ahead and start our own thing. At the time, we tried the drill of uh, putting stuff on CDs and this kind of thing, and, and uh, it just got real unwieldy for both of us. Uh, I mean, I, it's a lot I had a, another part-time job. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I had another part-time job doing a public affairs stint over at the local, a local college, so I was burning the candle at both ends. So sometime probably, I guess it was in 94, I was having a conversation with the editor of the Spectrum Monitor magazine, Ken Reitz, who had also worked for us mm -hmm. uh, at Monitoring Times. And uh, he says, yeah, he says, you ought to do this uh, e-book publishing stuff. He says, I just got to publishing my first book in e-book at Amazon. And he says, uh, once you publish it, then you don't have to worry. They sell it and you know, they market it and all this other. And I'm going, Right. Really? And they print it too, this right? Sounds, so. Yes. I said, this sounds like a great deal. And it has been. We're, we just put the 16th edition of Gale's Global Radio Guide. Of course, Sherwood Broadcasters change frequencies every, you know, twice a year. Mm -hmm. So we have to publish twice a year. We have the most, up to, I mean, literally from the time that it leaves her computer, until it goes and is published at Amazon is usually within four to five days tops. So from the time that they changed schedules this year, which is March 31st, I think we published about 21 days later, which it's a 794 page book and it's going to cost, uh, it's going to break the bank now, $8 and 99 cents. Yeah, it's a, it's now, yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, I want your listeners to think about that for a second. That's a 794-page yeah. book. If I was to do that in print with postage, paper, and printing, the, the three Ps of publishing, you're looking at a book that probably wouldn't come anywhere close to being under 50 bucks. 
right. easily. So, so those of you who plus, have beat me up, <laughs> plus, beat us up because we're not publishing a print book. There's a reason why. I mean, right. how many people and, and are going to go out here and pick up a book, fifty plus bucks? I mean, that's that's right. no small change. So no, not at all. We've got, and, and again, too, by the time you publish it, it's already going to be old news anyway, right? The the best way to get it is is digital. Yeah, and one of the reasons why we've gone the way we've done, number one, it turns out the turnaround time is very fast. We're not keeping any stock here at all. I mean, literally, you go up and buy it. If you shop, if you have an email address, then you can read a book from us, okay? Uh, if you have any electronic device, smartphone, tablet, iPad, PC, iMac, Linux, you name it, they have a free reader. You can read the books. So, you know, I mean, it's everybody's got a computer, right? I mean, you know, and I realize there's a few old stogies that may not, but for the most part, that's sort of the way it is. Anyway, that's 16th edition. It was just released. I have an international call sign book for military and government frequency call signs. One of the things I was mentioning earlier, learn to listen. In order to know who's using a frequency, that call sign sometimes can be a big aid to you. If you hear Blue Angel 1, you know who you got. Mm -hmm. But if you hear uh, uh, Morph 894, you don't know who you have unless you've got a guide to help you along. So that was one of the reasons why we published that. We have um, every edition of all of the MILCOM columns that I've done for MT and also uh, Spectrum Monitor archives through the end of last year that's available online. Very inexpensive. I think it's like $3.99. So if you want to look back, we do a lot of base profiles. We do a lot of HF. We do VHF. Uh, we, we talk about the spectrum, who's using it, that kind of thing. It's in those those archive books. The, even the ones from Monitoring Time Stays are pretty good to have because we documented a lot of the changeover from the 2004 time frame when, when DOD started uh, changing their frequencies. We have an ARTCC guide. So there's a guide up there to let you figure out which center you're listening to and what frequencies they use. It's still reasonably within, it's been published several years ago, but it's still quite accurate. I was really amazed. In fact, I was talk, thinking about working on an update over the summer, but looks like uh, probably not this summer, maybe next. Who knows? We'll, we'll just have to wait and see where we, we stand with that. But that's that's pretty much it for right now. We're, we're looking at some other projects, but... Uh, those those are the bulk, and we have, by the way, all 16 editions of Gail's Global Radio Guide up there. So uh, if you want you want them for the articles, <laughs> you can get them for the articles. Right. We're amazed at uh, how many people have gone back and and bought back issues of that particular book, and the stuff that we did on Korea and, and North Korea and South Korea and Cuba and you know all the various subjects that we've covered over the time. Uh, a lot of them are still relevant. Right. And you've also got uh, your Airshow Guide, too, right? That's also available on Amazon? Yes, the Airshow Guide is still up there as well. Plus, the March issue of the Spectrum Monitor. Every year, since the very first one I did in Monitoring Times, every March is Airshow. I started it. It's the Airshow issue. And just like years prior, uh, the March issue of uh, Spectrum Monitor has the latest one in it. Mm -hmm. Three bucks. And you can go to SpectrumMonitor.com, the SpectrumMonitor.com, and you can get for three bucks a PDF, and you've got all the air show frequencies there. Right. Is that the same guy that you have on Amazon, or it's it's a little bit different? Amazon's a little bit uh, more verbose in that mm -hmm. regard. There's a lot more material with it, background and that kind of stuff. Uh, a little bit more uh, geared towards the international community as well. So, I mean, if you're you're gotcha. listening. Somewhere in the UK, there's probably some frequencies in that airshow right. guide as well for you. So I remember, uh, you know, being a kid, right? You'd, you'd wait for the the Christmas catalogs to show up, right? When you're kids, you could find all the, the toys and everything else you wanted to, to ask Santa Claus for. And as I started getting more and more in this hobby, that to me it was when you know Modern Times issue would show up with with your stuff on the cover. So that became my Christmas catalog, right? That was what I was always excited to get every year. You know, what my Christmas catalog is. What's that? Universal Radio. <laughs> Good old Fred Osterman. I love love Fred's catalog. Fred had a great catalog. 
Right. Uh, him and also C. Crane. I love C. Crane's catalog because Bob used to have some really crazy things. And I guess he still does. Still has some crazy things in it. Right. I, I helped put the MT one together. So, I mean, the, the Grove Enterprises one together. So, I mean, there was never right. any surprises in there for me. It was everybody else's <laughs> just to see what right. they had in their catalog, I guess. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, I was, I was very happy. You know, I, I bookmark them all now, you know, with the uh, – you know, I have a folder now just for the Spectrum Monitor magazines and on my inbox. I can go back to it. But, uh, you know, in years past, I've also gone on Amazon and picked up the uh, your guide on uh, the air show. Because, again, I mean, to me, it's the, the the airport's five, ten minutes away from me. Right. So all day long, we've got them flying overhead. We hear them coming in and, and uh, you don't even hear them. Right. It, it's just all of a sudden they're over the tree line and, and they're buzzing, buzzing by. But we have everything comes into town and, and they're flying all weekend long. So for, for where I am right now, you know, Memorial Day weekend to me is uh, it's it's a big deal, right? To have all these planes and, and to be able to listen to them all. But uh, without your guides, I mean, I would not know where to find them. I mean, obviously I, I had to search them out myself, but your guide makes it extremely easy to to plug a scanner in and and over the years, you know, I've I've like I said before, I've I've taken Modern Time magazines and Spectrum Monitors and printed them out and everything else and I've got things highlighted and circled and I sit there, look at the Beth Page Air Show guide and find out who's coming into town. And I'd find out, okay, these are the, the frequencies I need to load in a scanner and and I've got tabs and tabs and tabs on my own little thing going on now just based on what I've heard over the past couple of years and compared to 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 your notes and everything else. And the amount of information that that you have placed online through these guides. So I don't want to say online, but in print, right? Because I mean Spectrum Monitor now is online, but Modern Times was always uh, was always print, but um, You'd be it's amazed. amazing. There's a yeah. there's a company or a company. There's a website in here. I want to call it. I think it's called American Radio History. Seems to be the thing that sticks in my head, and they have on there a accumulation of radio publications from all eras, literally going back to the birth of radio. And wow. one of the things that they have is they have every MT starting in 1982 when we the first one hit hit the street and yes i always always love this we'd go to the convention and people would say oh i've been a subscriber since day one but what did that first one look like well i can tell you what it looked like because i was writing at the time for the old rcma you ever hear of rcma RCMA, no, not RCMA. Yeah, it was a scanner-based club out of southern california and i was okay. writing the satellite column for them, and Bob was writing the federal column for them. And Bob took, since we communicated, he and Judy, when they first started out, Monitoring Times was never intended to be a magazine. It was going to be Grove's catalog of his product. And he had a list of 400 names. That's that's amazing to me. that There were 400 right. people that got a copy of that very first edition of Monitoring Times for free. And how do you know what's on it? There's a picture of the shuttle patch on the very front because that was the lead article. How to monitor the space shuttle. And still to this wow. day, the most popular article that's written. We had uh, recently updated our, our uh, NASA monitoring NASA list in Spectrum Monitor and uh, very popular, very well received. So we were quite happy with that. I remember listening to the space shuttle on, you know, they, they patch them into the amateur air repeaters over here. So you, you tune in to one repeater on two meters and it would just be the shuttle stuff that was going on all day long. Oh, fantastic. So those, those days are gone too. <laughs> so yeah. Well, the, uh, the uh, amateur radio club up at the Goddard space flight center used to do it on HF. Okay. And uh, we, I, I, there's many a day I listened on HF to that stuff. So. Right. Right. Excellent. So we've got uh, a bunch of your, your, uh, your publications that are available Online And I would be remiss if I didn't tell you, up at the website, you, you mentioned about mm -hmm. updating the books. One of the ways that we do this, we sort of pioneered the use of the blog. Uh, everybody back when right. we first started in May of 2006, we started three blogs. And uh, yeah, I was just getting there. Was, <laughs> you read my mind. <laughs> it, was, it's all, it was all politics. Well, we sort of changed the, the, the mode with that. And we have... <laughs> three blogs. There's the uh, Milcom Monitoring Post, the B-Town mm -hmm. Monitoring Post, and Shortwave uh, Central, which right. as Gail. Now, Lloyd has since followed along. He has DX Central, 
where he does the AM and FM. So we basically have the spectrum sort of covered here. That's the social media side of the house. We also, all three of us, have Twitter feeds where if it's lay-breaking or it's something new, if, if we just found a hot new air show frequency or something along that line, we uh, we will tweet that out. And, and again, the, the links for all of our social media is sitting up at the uh, com. So... I mean, that was that was that was definitely the path that I was just heading down. So, so Gail's website, right? Hers, hers is basically just shortwave and and utility monitoring, right? That's that's what's on on her website. Yeah, she she toys around with a few little other things from time to time. I mean, she'll throw. She's got propagation information in there. For a while, she was throwing some amateur radio stuff in there, but uh, she's pretty much got it boiled down to the to the to the shortwave broadcast side of the house. Yeah. Okay, and then your military monitoring posts—that's basically military monitoring posts. So that's that's pretty much self-explanatory yeah, as well. Yep. yep. So what what does B Town uh, monitoring take care of? B Town is the start of <laughs> start of our it's our company blog. It started out okay. for me because basically, you know, I would find something really interesting that I wanted to throw up there, you know, and it didn't have anything to do with the military, so I didn't want to get people mad. So mm-hmm. we said, okay, well, we here's a place where we can go up, and, and if it's sort of out of our wheelhouse, we can go up there and throw something up there. Whether it's satellite, you know, I had a down or captured an image of the slow scan TV transmission from the ISS last year. I said, hey, man, this is pretty cool. I'm going to throw this up there. Well, I couldn't do it at Milcom, so we did it at the B Town Monitoring Post. It's sort of a shared resource between the three of us. You know, if it's gotcha. not in our wheelhouse, then, then we can go ahead and throw it up there on B Town. Right. So it doesn't fit the specific niche for or niche for each one of those individual websites. This is kind of a catch-all for everything else that is radio-related. But yeah, that's excellent. Anything I mean, else that the Van Horns just happen to find cool and want to throw up there? Right. Right, right. It, that's that's a good way of doing it too, because I I kind of in the same boat, right? I've got my scanner radio website, which is just under my call sign, which is w2le.net. But there's other things I want to bring into it, so it's like you know I got the weather station, and I got what I'm working on, I got all, the, all these other things that I'd like to post on there, but it doesn't fit the mold. So it's like, what do you do with it? You know, where do you where do you where do you funnel it to? So uh, it's it's cool that you've got that extra website to, to do that. And all of them are done very well. And in fact, uh, Lloyd's got this, the other one too, right? Not only does he have DX central online, but he's got global tuners as well. So you've, you've also sure. got that part covered. So. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's a really a, sort of an interesting enterprise. I mean, for, for all practical purposes, the only compensation that we ever receive on any of this is if we sell a book. I mean, that's right. to be quite frank with you. And I mean, I was laughing with Gail the other day. I said, you know, if you had to pay me for for the work I did on this book, you couldn't afford me. She goes, <laughs> I'm feeding you. So it's one of the one of those things that uh, for the most part, it, we're doing it now simply because we enjoy the hobby. We enjoy the people in it, uh, enjoy sharing the information. We've been doing it so long, we'd probably end up breaking ourselves if we uh, we did anything else. But it's a lot of fun, and it's nice to uh, to have Lloyd sort of coming up through the ranks. I mean, he wouldn't have been able to escape any of this by any stretch of imagination because he got exposed to it at a very young age. Right. So, you know, it's very, very gratifying to see him carry on uh, and, it, and it's become extremely well knowledgeable in his own right in, in his field. And he can hold his own pretty much anywhere else, too. I mean, he's he's a good radio listener, so. So it, it, I'm gonna before I let you have a family that does this stuff. Exactly. Before I let you go, I'm gonna share a quick story with you that uh, that uh, Lloyd shared with me as well. So because I relate very personally, I, I kind of relate with, with him in, in his situation with with you guys because he was sharing the same story with me. Was uh, you know he was saying that you met Gail over the CB radio, right? And and that's <laughs> that's how the two you can. Well, yes, funny story is my parents met the exact same way, so. It's uh, it's interesting how the hobby brings people together. Is that you wouldn't you wouldn't believe? It, but my parents met the same way that that uh, the two of you met. So we we share a common bond with that and how radio is. And my my parents passed down the radio hobby to me. My mom 
is uh, licensed for amateur radio as well, and she puts up with the hobby. And um, I got my wife licensed as well, and my daughter loves running around with the with the radios in her hand. She's only seven years old, but she understands what's going on with it. So it's um, it's it's interesting to see it, you know, how it comes down through the generation. And my grandfather was into it as well. I mean, I I grew up in uh, watching the the Bearcat One Hundred One dance around in in his kitchen, you know, and, and listening to it when I was over over at his house. So and and my grandmother kept with it, and my uncle kept with it as well. So radio is a good hobby. It's it definitely is. Uh, something the family can get involved with as long as they're not uh, oh absolutely <laughs> gonna roll the rise family <laughs> adventure for sure <laughs> that is true that is true so is there anything else uh you want to bring up uh, today i think that's probably about it phil i mean you know at some time <laughs> in the future if we uh you know you'd like to do another one of these i'm sure that we could probably dig out a few more dusty memories from the yes, memory bank yeah, I'm, I'm sure yeah with uh I don't know how many years now. Well, way, way, way more than I can count. <laughs> <laughs> About 55 years now in listening to radio since I got my first one, which my son gave me a Halicrafters S120, by the way, for Christmas. And that was my first radio. Oh, wow. And, that's nice. Uh, that was, well, it was a pretty emotional time for me. I mean, I I did not see that coming. And he went out and got me. In fact, it's sitting up in the shack. So it was it was sort of special to bring back a lot of memories. My parents gave me my first radio in 64. And uh, there's a ton of stories in there as well. So, But no, it's, it's been a pleasure. I, we've, we've enjoyed the time that we've, we got to spend with you. Excellent. So all the uh, the documents, the links, and everything else that we talked about today will end up in the show notes. So it'll okay. all be available for somebody to come into and click and find you. And uh, if they want to reach out to you, I guess the best way to do so is to either hit you up on Twitter, which again, we'll, we'll put the link to that in the session notes. Or if you prefer, I mean, do you want them to hit one of your websites and use one of the uh, contact forms? You or can is, do that. Is Twitter the best uh, way? We have yeah. a company address of peakpub at gmail.com. You can also... Uh, I have a my ham radio uh, email address is in five fpw at frontier dot com. So any 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 of the the methods there are fine to uh, to get to us, and uh, we always look look forward to getting some mail. Excellent. Well, Larry, I want to thank you again for spending about an hour, a little bit more, with with us today. And it was a great conversation, and uh, I definitely look forward to having you back on here. And again, if there's anything you want to bring up, I mean, don't wait for me. Just send me an email and say, Hey, I want to come back. So, uh, again, it's, uh, like I, like I was saying, uh, earlier, I've been a huge fan of yours for, for many years and, uh, I'm, uh, very happy that you were, uh, you're on here today. So again, thank you very much. Thank you. And 73 doll. All right. Thanks again. Larry was one of the great ones. And I'm very, very sad to hear that he has passed. Larry's legacy will live on for decades to come, and I know I'll miss his columns on future editions of the Spectrum Monitor, as well as his frequent updates on his blog. Larry Van Horn, N5FPW, retired U.S. Navy Petty Officer, author, contributor, mentor, and friend. You will be missed. 73.